All right. Well, if we remember, we're talking about the book of Romans. Hi, guys. Romans is the first book after Acts in our Protestant New Testament. Um, though it's probably the last of the books, uh, the letters of Paul, that was written. Uh, remember when I uh, first talked about this, I said that um, the book of Romans was written in, um, the, the I'm sorry, the Protestant Bible. They put all of Paul's writings in uh, length order. So it's not in any kind of order by... Um, by chronological or theological, it's by length, um, which isn't necessarily bad, but it also can lead us to um, to read things where he's collected ideas and stuff like that, and, and late in his life, and and read them differently. You know, as we, it's like. Think about your own life, things that you would write now versus when you would write, you know, how you would write even 10 years ago. You know, that would, you know, we, 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 we collect, we grow as we, as we age and as we grow closer to Christ. And, um, and Romans is kind of like the pinnacle, right? That's why it's so influential, right? It's that book that has been most, is one of the most influential letters in, um, in, in, the, New, in the New Testament, other than the Gospels, right? It is the, definitely the most influential of, of Paul's writings. Um, written during his third missionary journey, probably circa uh, 57 A.D., while he's in Corinth. Um, To Rome, um, which was a huge place, a huge uh, empire known as the city on the hill. Rome, um, not only will it, this letter be written to, uh, to the church in Rome, but Rome is one of those places that is very influential. That's one of the reasons why it stands out in our minds so much. Rome is one of those places that's influential to the world around. Our government really follows after the Roman model. Um, philosophy, we follow after Roman thought. Uh, ethics, a lot of our ethics are the same as Rome. Um, what you see here on the list, uh, up on the board, is actually a list of some of the most influential Christian leaders um, in the early church, and they are all from the, the area of Rome. And, um, you know, Clement of Rome was probably the first pope of Rome after Peter, if you believe in popes. But it's the, <laughs> um, he was probably, he was the first, first he's been, he's named as the first pope uh, after Peter. Um Polycarp is from Smyrna, but he'll actually be martyred, uh, do a lot of work in Rome before he's martyred. Irenaeus, 
Um, we're not told how Christianity got to Rome. Uh, it very well probably came to Rome with the first Jews who heard Peter preaching at the Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2. And then they brought it back with them. Um, ancient tradition states that Peter uh, ministered in Rome in late 30s. By AD 49, the Christian presence among the Jews in Rome was great enough to provoke riots in the community. So the, the Christians and the Jews were, were rioting in the community. Um, so... We don't know exactly how it got there. Except tradition, Peter brought some of it within the 30s, ministered there. We don't actually have that in the scriptures. When you think of Rome, Romans, the book of the letter to Romans, what do you think the main major themes are in that? What's the major theme of Romans? How many of you guys have read the book of Romans? It's kind of a weighty book. Salvation. Salvation is the major theme in, 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 in Romans. Salvation of um, individual and salvation of the world. These are the major theme in, in Romans. It's not the only themes in there. There's a lot in this book. Um, it's one of the most theological ones, but the primary theme of Rome is salvation. Though it's it's a very weighty book, I um, have joked about preaching through the book of Romans, but um, the shortest I've managed to get it down to was three years. So, <laughs> so I haven't tackled that one yet. Um, Paul wrote this. Um, in part to rally support for the oncoming missions to Spain. He, Paul wants to go to Spain. He's going to stop at Romans. He always desired to go to Rome. Um, he, to teach, he writes this to teach about salvation and furthering God's kingdom. He writes it because he has personal hopes and passions that he, he wants to express. Um, he's concerned for the church there in Rome. Rome is the center of, it's like, Someone who's never been to Washington, D.C., writing to the church in, in Washington, D.C., because it's the political center of the world at the time. And he wants to, he's, he's concerned. And there will be a lot of persecution coming out of Rome. Um, this is a outline of the book of Romans. There are other outlines out there. If, you're, if, you look, if your Bible is one of those study Bibles that has um, outlines in it, you might see a different one. This is a way to outline the book of Romans. It's good enough. <laughs> um, one, introduction, uh, diagnosis, um, you know, the knowledge of God and the uh, sinfulness and fall of humanity. Prognosis, we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Subject to the fulfillities is subjected to hope. Um, 
prescription. We need to be faithful servants in action. And then there's a conclusion. Uh, following the basic pattern of letters at the time, as its introduction, um, why you're writing, and then what, then all that information, and it concludes. Have the slide on that. No. Okay. Uh, let's just go ahead and flip over. We're not going to read all of Romans, obviously. That's a it's a hefty book. But let's just flip over to Romans one, uh, one. So it tells us right off the bat, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. So right off the bat, he tells us who's writing it, why, and uh, his credentials, right? So he's Paul, a slave, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which was promised previously through the prophets of the Holy Spirit concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we received grace and apostleship for the abundance of faith among the Gentiles on behalf of his name, among whom you are called, who are also the called of Jesus Christ. So that's quite, a, quite an introduction for himself. Called to apostle. Now, remember, he's saying he's the apostle called by Jesus himself. He's the last apostle called by Jesus himself. As Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. This is a big deal for him. Um, called to the Gentiles. And then he says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, which I give thanks, my God, through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in the whole world. Now, remember, he hasn't been to Rome yet. He's only heard about the church in Rome. So he's saying, I'm thankful for you because I've even heard about your faith from where I'm at. That's a pretty bold statement, right? So I know about your church. Because I've heard how faithful you are in the midst of being in Rome. Um, For God whom I serve with my spirit in gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I mention of you always asking in my prayers if someone somehow now at last I may succeed to um, to come to you is the will of God. So he's been wanting to come to uh, the church in Rome for a long time and he's asking God, can I go to Rome? Can I go to Rome? Can I go to Rome? Now we've already seen how Paul, in the book of Acts, how Paul listens to God and sometimes he thinks he's going to go in one direction and God changes that path. Remember the book of Acts, like where he was supposed to go to one church and he ends up going to another church and then starting a whole ministry, meeting some women that end up bankrolling him for a while. And, and uh, you know, this, so it's, it's one of those things that God is changing his past. He says, but he keeps praying, God, I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. And he doesn't want to go to Rome to sightsee. 
He's a Roman citizen, and he wants to go to Rome because he wants to reach out to the church there in Rome. For I desire to see you, in order that, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you in order to strengthen you. So see, like, he's not going, I, I, you know, I, I want to go see the Colosseum, and I want to, no, that's what he's, I want to uh, impart gift to you. I want to strengthen you in order to encourage to, together through our mutual faith so we can be encouraged together, both yours and mine. Now I want to, I, now I I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, that often I intend to come to you and was prevented until now in order that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under no obligation both to the Greek and to the barbarian, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus I am eager to proclaim the gospel to you as you are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. So, I'm wanting to come to you. I've been wanting to come to you for a long time. I've been prevented to come to you. Now, he's actually kind of wanting to go to Spain after this. He wants to come to Rome, then he wants to continue on to the book of uh, to, to Spain. He's wanting to take it to the Gentiles. So Spain would have been the furthest point. You know, you know that's, that's, the, that's the other side of the known world. They don't know about the United Well, that part of the world does not know about the United States yet, uh, what, what will become the United States yet. Um, so I'm eager to proclaim to you this. I am not ashamed of the gospel for its power to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. I'm not ashamed, he says. And that's going to be a theme that we see coming out of him in this book. I'm not ashamed of the gospel and um, this will be a big deal for him. Is, as, when does Paul get to go to Rome? Yeah, when he's in chains. He's in prison when he finally gets there. He's brought there by the Roman guard in prison. Um, and then he's eventually going to be killed there in Rome. Um, so... I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He wants to go there on his own, and he's got only he find, God finally brings him to Rome, not the way he envisioned it. But isn't that the true way life works sometimes? Um, yeah, right. He went all over the place so that he would be ready. So I'm not ashamed, and he will have to stand not ashamed as he's going to be a martyr for the faith. That's. Uh, that's tough. I think about martyrdom. And I've seen different types of Christians out there. I've seen some Christians that the first time you mention martyrdom, they're like, I'm not going to be a Christian no more. And they tuck tail and run. This doesn't help me stay faithful. Actually, I was told that at a church. Don't talk about martyrdom. That doesn't help me be faithful at all. That help makes me want to leave the church. And then I've met Christians who, oh, they'll gladly die for Christ. It's living they have trouble for. <laughs> they have trouble living for Christ. Um, um, went to school with some of those. They would gladly die, give their life up for Christ. But living for Christ? Uh, 
For the righteousness of God is revealed in it from faith to faith, just as it is written. But the one who is righteous, who righteous will live by uh, faith. Will live, or will righteous will live by faith? Those words right there, the righteous will live by faith. Those are some of the most powerful words. That's actually one of the things that helped start the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. As Martin Luther read that and looked at the current state of the Catholic Church at the time um, and, and said, why are we focused on all these uh, works and good works and, and, and all these things and indulgences were being sold at the time, which was never part an official part of the Catholic Church, but it doesn't mean it wasn't happening. Um, they were selling uh, indulgences, uh, which is basically... Your, you, 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 they sell the, um, an indulgent is like a get out of jail free card. Like you get to indulge in one sin. And if you give so much money, you get to involve in, indulge in one sin or this sin. And so you would buy an indulgent so you could go out and participate in a sin. And it was a, it was great money maker for the church. The church was making all kinds of a bank. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times it was before. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, and you could also buy, uh, time out of purgatory, which is not part of the Catholic, Roman Catholic, uh, faith, but that's what they were teaching at the time um so you could the more money you pay less time you sit or you could buy your family member out of purgatory um they were making bank uh, the people were starving but the church was doing really well um and and uh, that's one of the things and he read this and he leads and um like i said martin luther here i stand great book um he read that, and he's uh, and uh, he, that's what prompted him to start writing the ninety-five thesis, which he'll he'll his ninety-five thesis, which is free. You can just type in 90, Martin Luther ninety-five thesis. You can read it; it's online, um, and he can uh, in ninety-five things he has problems with the Roman Catholic Church, and and um, and um, we'll talk more about those. Um, after we finish the New Testament, I've already started working on some of the, the church history stuff. and um, I'm not getting very far. I'm a little frustrated with that. I've got to wade through a lot of material to decide what, what, <laughs> what I want to teach you guys and what you guys can learn on your own and try to make it um, friendly. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. Um, but the righteous will live faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all impurity and the unrighteous people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Um, that word servant at the very beginning of that, Paul, servant, that's the same word that means slave. He calls himself a slave. A lot of times he talks about freedom from slavery in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, but it also it 
you become a slave to Jesus Christ. What? Bond servant is another word. Um, when we think slave, we often think of chattel slavery. Uh, in the Roman world, slavery was a little different. Um, slaves could own slaves. Um, you could, uh, there was like different levels of slavery. Um, you would be tagged as a slave, which means you weren't a citizen, but you were taken care of by someone else. And you could actually, um, and, and the idea Paul has for his, like, you could choose to, if, once you were freed from slavery, you could choose to remain under slavery, and you would go to a doorpost and nail your ear to the, the doorpost, marking that you were, you, would, you know, a slave. Uh, that's why some people wear the, 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 um, the uh, you see some people with the earring representing their bond servantness to Jesus. They wear a little cross in the ear. Um, but, um, yeah, you could choose to, and, and that's the idea here, is you're here a slave. You've, you've given up your freedom for Jesus, you're slave to righteousness. Um, yeah, we, it wasn't like chattel slavery, like, that what didn't start out in the United States, but it became like that in the United States. And it's not the only place it took place either. But, um, but yeah, it was slavery. Um, so Paul will go on after this, and he will launch into quite a lengthy exposure of the sinfulness of man. Um, he starts with this really because the good news of Christ is so good because we're so bad. <laughs> um, you know, so he... he he follows this, um, what would have been a logical uh, rhetoric style or, or debate style at the time, and he's writing this. Good news is so good because there's also the bad news. You know, we're all sinful. Um, all people are cut off from God, subject to eternal judgment. Um, In the scriptures, there's really three different ways of looking at heaven, uh, hell, um, and they're all going on at the same time, and that's why people argue about it all the time, because they're all kind of going on, because there's three different traditions going on as the people are writing on this, and we don't know exactly what hell looks like. Um, there's there's things that we just don't understand, I mean, we uh, even the people that had like visions of, or, you know, like you know, there's just a lot we don't understand about hell. Um, and so as you're reading through the scriptures, you might say, well, that seems to contradict this. Well, it doesn't really contradict it, but there's three different ways people are looking at hell at the same time. Um, and I'm not talking about the temporary hell, like before judgment. I'm talking about the final hell. And that's um, eternal punishment flame, you know, 
punished for all time, which is seems to be the pre prevalent one, uh, especially in since the 1600s. Um, lake of Fire um, for eternity, but there also seems to be um, the the ver another uh, idea of, of hell where you um, the you you either suffer for a little bit and then it cease to exist, or yeah, you know the at when after judgment those who don't live for eternity don't have eternal life cease to exist, and then so these these there's really three different kind of ideas at the same time and you can read all three and you can read different people argue about them using scriptures um and so it's something that you know and the truth is we don't know what hell is going to look like why because we're not there <laughs> we may be on the path to it <laughs> but we're not there even the temporary hell, I say temporary because you guys remember when I was talking on heaven and hell, I, I preached on heaven and hell. There was the temporary, which was like, there was like immediate life, eternal, there was eternal life and then we messed up and then God brought in death and that, you know, that caused us to die. And so we had to have this like temporary place until that final judgment. So like this waiting place. Um that's in the scriptures like this waiting place and it's described in a few different ways and uh, but we don't actually get a lot about it um and and so we have like this temporary hell um or and heaven as well temporary paradise and then there'll be the new heaven and the new earth that revelation talks about and but it does also it says new heaven and new earth but it doesn't say new hell so that leads into a whole nother people reason uh reason people argue about what does hell look like after, just have a new heaven, new earth. What about new hell? And so there's a big argument there. And like I said, you can get caught up in these arguments. And I just say, well, you know, that's all falling down. But we don't know. What we do know is there's a new heaven, new earth. And I want to be on that side. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be on the other side. I don't want to know. That's, that seems pretty. I do know there's a new heaven, new earth. You had your hands up. Um, <laughs> that's uh, an interesting how do we interpret that passage there's actually two ways you can interpret that passage the passage where uh, Jesus is talking uh, to Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham and then the rich man was in um, hell um, there's two ways you can look at that one is figurative it's a parable or you can say that Jesus was talking from real event. It is, I mean, it does stand out. It is the only parable that has a name to it. Um, but it wouldn't be the new heaven and new earth because it would be, that would be when Jesus returns. So, David, I saw your hand up.
Absolutely. So what does that look like? What's it mean? And people argue about these things all the time. Here's what I know. But I don't want to be in that part. <laughs> we can argue about hell, weeping, gnashing, darkness. We don't know. As for that one passage, it's some people say it's a parable. Don't write it out. I tend to see, well, Jesus is speaking. He does use a name like uh, like I was saying, like David was saying, which usually means something different. However, I did not get to talk to Jesus about this. So, you know, we'll, we can bring that up when we meet him. <laughs> um, uh, you know, when we get to that you know, we know what here is like because we live here. When we start talking about there and there, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's the, we, people describe it, but, you know, even like passage where it says like there's, uh, you know, the streets are made of gold. Is that literally is made of gold or is it just means that gold means nothing? It's, you know, it's what we pave the streets with. You know, it's, uh, you know, is it shiny? You know, is it a, a lake of crystal? What does that actually mean? Is it like a hard lake? Is it just like clear, crystal clear lake? Is it, you know, these kind of things. We, they were describing things the best they could. And, you know, and, and we try to interpret them. You know, the King James Version uses... I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. And other ones say, I'm going to prepare a room for you. I'm going to prepare a house for me. The word there means a dwelling place. So it, whatever that dwelling place looks like. Uh, some people say, well, it's a room within Jesus' mansion. Um, and uh, you know, I like Audio Adrenaline's Big Big House song. I don't know if you guys ever heard that one. Uh, with lots and lots of rooms. Um, but you know, we, we, they try to explain things the best they know how, and we try to interpret them. And, and the truth is we're not there. We haven't been there yet. Um, uh, we can't know what these things really look like. We just know what's promised that through Jesus, we are born again for eternal life now and eternity and if you do not believe it's on him, right? Then you perish. Whatever that looks like. Doesn't sound fun either way. Because they talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth. They talk about fire. They talk about darkness. They talk about just, you know, separation from God's love and the the... the not fulfilling the purpose of God and not being within the image of not being the image and fulfilling that purpose. None of that sounds very fun. Even if we take out all the other stuff and just say, you won't be in God's love. Just that. Well, God's love is the starting point. It means you don't even get to get to the starting point. Or I don't get to be fulfill the purpose that God has created for me. How many of us want purpose? How, 
if you are sitting out there and you're like, my life has no purpose, where, how do you feel? You feel depressed, you feel down, you feel empty, give up. How much more if that was like, there is no hope. I mean, you take away all the gnashing of teeth and the fire and any kind of other judgment, just the hopelessness of that. I don't want to be on that side. <laughs> I mean, I want to be on, on God, the eternal life of Jesus Christ. I mean, so. Um, and I know the common tradition in our church, especially here in the United States, is a you go to heaven for eternity or you go to hell for eternity. And, and that's, that's the common tradition. I just want you to know that there are other traditions out there that people do argue from scriptures because there were multiple things going on at the time it was written. So they're not clear on the matter, so I don't see how we can be clear on the matter either. But um, we often, if you go back in the scriptures, we often, a lot of times our interpretations are based off of traditions that have been handed down to us. Um, Sometimes, sometimes we look at things, we, we put our emphasis on, a lot of times because we, we want, we, we put our emphasis on passages that confirm what we believe, and we ignore ones that may tell us something different. Um, like I said, either way, whatever you believe on heaven and hell, you know, that's between you and the Bible, we're not there yet. What you do know is that Eternal life of Jesus, good. Not bad. <laughs> Everything else, eh, we can work out when we get there. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyways, uh, I forget where I was at. Um, good news, bad news. All people are cut off from God, subject to eternal judgment, um, Paul seems to be out there to convince people of their sin um, and persuade of their lost condition. Uh, um, and he, because we can't live the righteous life that God deserves without him. Um, he will also talk about how false worship has infiltrated the church. Um, Rome, I know you guys, when we watched that video last week, if you didn't get that video, I'm sorry, um, talk about how religious Rome was. And uh, it had all kinds of different p pagan religions. Um, and so it's, he says, you know, the, but, he, but he says not just the obviously wicked, he goes, all have fallen short, right? All have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, Jews, Gentiles alike, all has have been um, fallen short of the glory of God. Then he will go on. He said, you know, he says this is so bad, but there's there's hope, right? He he doesn't just end it with that, you know, right? What <laughs> if he ended it like that? Y'all suck. Bye. <laughs> uh, you ever met some some preachers like that? I listen to some preachers like that. 
You are going to burn in hell. Let's pray. Amen. Um, wait. I think you missed something in the scriptures. <laughs> Paul doesn't end with, uh, with, 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 with all that burning. He, he ends there's hope. Because Jesus Christ, sinners can have new life, right? God looks at them through righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, as we look at Paul's life, we think about Saul, right? He saw who becomes Paul. Saul was a Pharisee. Um, raised his Pharisee, Jew among Jews, studied under the best teacher. He, he, he gives you their teacher's name, and the te- that teacher's like one of the top-known teachers in the Jewish world. That's like saying, I went to, what's well, a good education? Harvard, you know, right? I went to the best school. I learned from the best teachers. I, you know, um, I'm the Jew. Saul would have said that he could earn God's favor. By following the rules of the Pharisee. I don't walk too far on Sunday. You know, I don't work on Sunday. I, I, I follow all these other rules, you know. Uh, on top of the 613 that's in the scriptures, I'm going to follow the, the, you know, the thousands we've made. It's funny. Um, I, th- I thought about this the other day. You know, the more laws we create, the more laws we need to enforce the laws that we made. Um, um, I mean, think about our just our tax laws, right? I mean, how many laws are in the we can't? I mean, we can't even figure out our taxes, right? Because we have to have pay people millions of dollars because they make it so complicated because they want you to pay millions of dollars because they don't want you to be able to do it on your own. I mean, it's it's they, the more we need more laws, right? I mean, think about how many laws, you guys drove here, how many of you guys drove here today? How many laws did you have to follow just to get here today? There's a speed limit, the seat belt, the bus, what side of the road you stayed on, was the, the lines in the middle, if it was checkered or if it was straight, if it was yellow, if it was white, if it was, uh, you know, uh, you know, where your t- car within legal limits, you know, was it tagged, registered, insurance, uh, we, we, you know, we think 613 in the Bible is too much, just think about how much it took you to get to church today, yes, they sure did, <laughs> Yeah, just in some parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. And you have to you have to know all this. I mean, if you you see a sign and it has like line, the lines are painted, you know, that yellow and black sign, and the lines are going this way or violet lines are going this way. That tells you something, and you have to know what that means. Some of you guys like I don't remember what that means. I haven't taken Jiver's head and like. <laughs> if the lines are going this way, it means go to that side. If the lines are going this way, it means go to this side. 
Absolutely. Absolutely, because we live on the border of Nevada and Arizona. So we have to know both states' laws. <laughs> uh, and California, because we're on the border of that. And we go to Utah quite a bit, right? Because we're right there. Um, you know, so you have to know, I mean, oh my goodness. Saul would have thought you could have followed the rules enough and got to, to God. Paul, however, rejects this idea. It's through faith and grace in God, not our own self. And that's what he'll teach as he goes through these passages um, in the book of Romans. Because we are redeemed by grace. It's through grace of God that we, we can be saved. Um, and a lot of people, uh, as we read through this, as you, as you read through this, you're going to see a word uh, predestination or election come out. And a lot of people uh, argue about what that means. Um, Calvinism versus Arminianism. And I say free will versus predestination. Um, in this particular case is not a good place to start that argument because here he's talking about I, we were predestined to go to the Gentiles. It was a whole group of people, not individuals. That's not what he's talking about there. Now, if we take it out of context, like we tend to do, right, and f- like zoom in and look at the leaves and forget there's a forest around us, forget that it's a letter, um, then we can get focused on, well, what does that mean for me individually? But that predestination in this section is talking about, I'm predestined to go, it, Christ was predestined not for just the Jews, but for everybody. It was, that's what he's talking about there. And, um, and we could talk about what Calvinism versus Arminianism and stuff like that on another date. I don't want to talk about that right now, but uh, that's a whole class, right? Um, maybe we'll do after we church history. Maybe we'll do Christian theology, and we'll we'll sit and I'll sign you guys to debate each other, right? <laughs> All right, you take Calvinism, you take Arminianism, go. <laughs> um, yeah. You're right. It's, why can't it be both, right? It just doesn't make sense. Uh, we're arguing about something from our perspective when God's not in our perspective. <laughs> He's outside of time. Um, yet time is something that came out of creation for us. And he's outside of that. And I can't even fathom what being outside of time would be like. He is eternal, but he's also without time. He enters into time to deal with, to interact with us. He's not 
inside of time. That's something I, I have this, you know, you sit there and wrestle with in yourself. What does it mean to be outside of time? I, I can't even fathom what it'd be like. It's one of the dimensions, time. And you're with outside of that dimension of time. So all time is the same moment. I, yeah, right? I, <laughs> Right, you know, I yeah, but even that's within time. <laughs> no, he's not. Yeah, and he de- enters into time to deal with us because we're within time. You know, we, we try to understand, you know, I, I, I still, I think about that, you know, like, I, you know, I have trouble wrapping that around my head about what does it mean? I can't fathom it. Where, you know, he's above, you know, I can, I can get the idea, like, he's like, you know, like, we're looking at a puzzle, right? He sees all the different pieces that I can wrap my head, but to be without time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean that's just that's just crazy. Um, of course, when God enters in, as you see, you see in the scriptures, Jews in the early uh, early Jewish, the idea of a static God is something that develops over time, like without change. Um, you know, we see God enter into to Earth and deal with it. You know, like God changes His mind at several times. He uh, God, you know, um, um, and so that idea of a static God that never changes is something that has developed over time. It's not something that was the original way they would have thought about God because we learn about God as he reveals himself, right? The ultimate revelation of, Je- of God was through Jesus Christ. And... Um, Um, we only got 10 minutes left. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Um, all right. Because of God's grace, because we are saved, therefore, we offer ourselves as holy sacrifices to God. Um... Therefore, he says in in chapter 12, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, through the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. 
Do not be conformed to this age, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be approved what is the good and well-pleasing, perfect for God. For by the grace given, uh, grace given to me, I say to everyone who is among you, that you do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but not think simply as God has uh, uh, apportioned as a measure of faith to each one of you. And you talk about we're all part of the body of believers. Um, Paul, one of Paul's uh, best things he always says, right, is um, you know faith, hope, and love, right. That's one of his. That's one of his his things. Faith, hope, and love. Right? Faith brings righteousness. Hope through God's grace. Love because we were first love. Uh, and love must be served. Hating evil, clinging what is good. Um, worship God as we you know. And that's I, I like that that passage. Um, this is why I haven't preached through the book of Romans. It's so dense. <laughs> We're sitting here. I'm trying to get through it all in one ses- setting, and here I am thinking, I don't know if I can get through it. Yeah. Um, we could spend all, for a, a whole a year on just this one, uh, this one book as we go through the different theological ideas in it. But, you know, he, he talks about faith, you know, in this passage, you know. Um, we worship God, not just with singing, but through action, right? Um, because we love. Uh, in Romans twelve nine, it says, Love must be without hypocrisy. So abhor what is evil. Be attached to what is, gov- uh, what is good. Um, submit yourself to the authorities. Love the weak. And love for the... Um, Love, and he'll actually say that for the end is near. Paul writes as though he thinks the end is like tomorrow. Um, I guess for him it wasn't too far off. (laughs) But he writes as though Jesus coming back like tomorrow. And we still have to live with that kind of um, thought, right? But then this is near. Um, all right, I'm not going to talk about that because that would get us down a rabbit hole we don't have time for. Um, I guess we'll talk about the conclusion. 15 through 16 is the conclusion. Um, I have written to you more boldly on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that has been given uh, to me by God with the result I am a servant of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, serving the gospel of God as priest, in order that the offering of Gentiles may become acceptable, uh, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, 
I have a reason for boasting in Christ regarding the things concerning God, for I will not dare speak about anything except which has uh, which Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in obedience of the Gentiles by the word and deed, by the power and signs and wonders of the power of the Spirit, fr- so that from Jerusalem and traveling around as far as, um, and he'll go out and name some places, right? Um, in this conclusion, he, he, he outlines his, his, his insights and his mission to the Gentiles, but he also calls for um, support, right, for his proposed message to Spain. He wants to go on to Spain. And so that's what he, one of those things he's talking about in this passage is he's, you know, calling for support. He's going to name a bunch of people that he knows, and he'll ask for prayer, uh, passes on greetings for various Roman believers that he's either met or have heard about and come in contact with. Um, I think the best thing we can do as we end Romans is read 16, 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for so long, for so long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among the Gentiles to the one, the only wise God through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I think that's beautiful. As he, he, he missed, you know, for so long it was kept hidden from us. We saw, we saw the scripture and it was revealed in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Ain't that what the, I don't know, that's like the theme of life right there, right? God be the glory forever. Amen. Let that be the message of our life. Let God be the glory. And I think about this as I think about how he's going to end up being martyred. And by the time he finally reaches Rome. <laughs> um, to God be the glory. So. All right. Anything you guys want to say about Romans? There's a lot there. How many of you, this is your favorite book? Roman, anyone Roman favorite book in the Bible? Second favorite? It's pretty good. It's, it's weighty. Um, I love the book. I think um, when I read through it, I often have to remind myself of the letter because I get caught up in all the, the individual theological themes. I forget what he's actually doing as he goes through it. 
Um, that's one of the reasons I, when I read Romans, the first thing I like to do is read Romans. And then I go back and read the individual parts. I like to just, just sit down and read it as fast as I can. You know, just boom, just, just read Romans. Don't, don't, you know, so I get the whole kind of whole picture that he said in, in, in there. So then I can start tracing themes and theology and, and stuff like that. But I have to remind myself because it's so dense. And so many people have taken it out of context, right? You know, it's, it would be easy. It's easy to do because you get in there and you dig 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 in there and you grab the whole of this and then you lost sight of the whole letter. And it's easy to do. So yeah, that's why I like to like, it is a letter meant to be heard. Because faith comes through hearing. And so it's meant to be read. And so I think it's one of those things that, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And um, so. Um, yeah. Next week will be, um, yeah, next week we'll be in Corinth as we talk about Corinthians. Uh, the 17th, I won't be here. We're having a, my kids are, uh, uh, have a recital. So I will be at my kids' recital because those only come around so often. So I will be there, but we are having a worship night here at the church. So if you're looking, uh, listening online, that very that may or may not be recorded. I don't know yet. Um, but um, but that'll be the seventeenth. So all right. Any questions, comments, concerns, proclamations? Anyone want to recite the Emancipation Proclamation for us? Just kidding. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers set forth on this nation, a new continent, on this continent, a new nation, conceived in liberty. Just kidding. Um, yeah, I could go a little longer. Uh, anyways, let's pray and be closed. Uh, Father God, I praise you today, Lord. I thank you for all this, uh, this gift of just looking at this, Lord. I pray that as we go through this that we may... Focus on you and and uh, and just gain uh, insight as we fo- uh, as we uh, we um, we grow as we as we discover. Lord, let us never go tired of growing uh, as we we study your scriptures and, and look at uh, uh, you know and, and and understand. There's some things that we just won't understand yet, Lord. And, um, and we we praise you for the mystery too. And um, but Lord, I pray that we would continue growing, asking big questions, seeking answers, and and, uh, and just loving you for you, for the glory of God, ever and ever. Amen.